Bibles, if you will, and for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to draw your attention to one passage in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. This will be the first of a series of messages that we will be bringing to you on the church, the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ in America is going to be a very, very important part of the future of this country and where the church will continue to stand. First of all, will it stand? And second of all, where will it stand? And so as we move toward uh, November 6th, and you know what day that is, but as we move through the fall, we're going to be preaching to you a series of messages. And you know what? I can't tell you how many weeks we're going to go, but we're going to preach to you about the church and the importance of the church. And really, Matthew 16 is kind of a kickoff to this whole idea of church as Jesus addresses and, and uh, shows us his thoughts concerning the church. You know, I'm really thankful for the last 28 years of God's goodness and faithfulness to this church, Victory Life, meeting with 51 people in a living room to begin and 91 people as we met for our first service I'm thankful to the Lord for the growth and the land and the buildings. And the most important part are the souls. Heard testimony this week of people who received Christ through the gospel according to Scrooge. The triumph here at this platform at the end of a service. Heaven's gates, hell's flames, if you remember those productions. Outreaches, ministries that have taken place through this church. From this church, souls, I'm thankful for the souls of people that have been touched, the people that have been raised in this church. We're old enough to have generations now of of people that have grown up in this body and who are serving the Lord. I think of Sierra Miller in the Sudan today, grew up here. The Lord raised her up from this body to minister in the Sudan. What a wonderful blessing. And there are many others that I could name. But you know what? If we could bring together everyone who's been saved and healed and fed, both physically and spiritually, all the people that have been encouraged, been taught, been prayed over and loved in Jesus' name, not only here in Stowe, but in Mexico, Hungary, Spain, Guatemala, the Dominican Republic, Moldova, Senegal, the Sudan, and Ireland, through outreaches like car care clinics, like the Triumph, like the Gospel According to Scrooge, and even around this platform, this building would not be able to contain the hundreds of people that Victory Life Church has touched in 28 years. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. The church, my friend, is not a man's idea. The church, my friend, is God's creation. And the advancements and the accomplishments of the church, Victory Life and the church universal, are not for man, are not for an institution, are not for an organization. They are for God's glory alone. So whatever good has come from this local body of believers over the course of 28 years, it's for God. It's for His glory. It's for His praise. It's for His worship. Everything good that's happened in this body for these 28 years belong to the Lord and to the Lord alone. The church is a divine and a supernatural 
life-giving gathering. I don't even want to use the word institution or organization. Because the church, as Jesus describes it, is meant to be a dynamic, a moving, a life-giving institution group of people that have been called together. So it's divine. And let me offer this to you this morning. The church is meant to be supernatural. The church is meant to be supernatural. And by supernatural, I mean there needs to be a touch of heaven on the church. There needs to be a touch of God's presence on the church. There needs to be a dynamic of the move of God within a church. Otherwise, a church just becomes an organization, a social club. Something that man can do. Something that man can accomplish. Good men and women, but nevertheless, just men and women. And I'm not interested in a club of just men and women doing good things. That's really not how the church is defined in Scripture. The church is defined to have a touch of God upon it. The church is defined by having the spirit, supernatural, spiritual work of God active. The work of God being breathed into God's people. The power of God moving through you and moving through me, my friends. That's the church. Let's look at Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18 together. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Jesus replied, or Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man but by my Father in heaven. The setting here is that Jesus is alone with his disciples, about 20 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And he's now focusing on the twelve, because you see, within the year, Jesus would begin his turn toward the cross. So two and a half years of Jesus' ministry had already been accomplished. And now he sees the last year on the calendar and he realizes it's time for my disciples to lock in to who I am. You would think that they would have done that before this point. But Jesus, in his discernment, knew that it's time now to put the question to the Christ followers, to put the question to the disciples. Who am I? Who is it that you think I am? And the question is important not only for the present, but the question is important for the future. Because the Lord was going to build something on what the answer would be. So we asked the disciples this first question. Who do people say that I am? In other words, what's the popular opinion? Have you ever done that? Who do people think I am? What do you think of me? What do you think of me? You think I'm okay? Yeah, you like me? You don't like me? What do you think about my character? What do you think about my reputation? Jesus was asking his disciples to report in. We've been at this for two and a half years. 
Who do who are the people saying that I am? What's the popular opinion? And the disciples begin to speak. Well, some say that you're John the Baptist. And we know John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ, and he announced the kingdom. Kind of a wild-looking guy in appearance, but he had a very bold and a very fiery message. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Be baptized. And he would lead from the Jordan River as he baptized men and women for the repentance of their sins, some people were saying it was John the Baptist. Now, if you go back to Matthew 14, you'll realize John the Baptist wasn't on the scene anymore. Something had already happened to John the Baptist. I'll leave that for you to look at in Matthew 14. So some said, you're John the Baptist. Some say, you're Elijah, a prophet of God. Remember Elijah, he never died on the earth. Remember, he got caught up with a whirlwind in a chariot up into heaven. The primary role of Elijah was to prepare the way for the Messiah. It was proclaimed in Malachi chapter 3 and chapter 4. So some were saying, well, you're Elijah. Some were saying, you're Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the prophet who really could part the waters with his words, really could say it like he meant it, really could give the truth, really could call the truth from the error, really could call the true from the false. That was Jeremiah, and he did it in a very passionate way. And some men and women on the earth in that day said, Jesus Jesus is Jeremiah. He really knows how to call it for what it is. He really has the authority of Jeremiah and the passion of Jeremiah and the word of Jeremiah. Some are saying you're Jeremiah, and some are saying one of the prophets. To be any one of these would have required a resuscitation including John the Baptist at this point. And people were seeing in Jesus glimpses of these Old Testament characters. And people, the multitude, wasn't getting it. Sound familiar? In our world today, who is God? Well, God has a lot of meanings. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God? Who is that? And Jesus was posing that question. Then Jesus goes to the core of the issue. Verse 11 or verse 15. But what about you? He says this. Who do all of you? You being plural there. Who do all of you, my 12 disciples? Who do you say? That I am. Are you going to be like the people of the popular opinion and chime in with them? Or do you have a special revelation? Do you see something different in me than what the mass sees in me? He says this right to his 12 disciples. Who do you say that I am? And notice who takes the front and center at that point. Do you see it there? Verse 16. There he is. Simon Peter. He takes front and center there and he steps up. You know, of course he would, wouldn't he? If anybody was going to step in and voice something, it would be Peter. The outspoken and always had something to say, Peter. Peter had a bright idea. He had an answer to the question. Or did he? His response, do you see it there in verse 16? You are the Christ. The Son 
of the living God. Ding, 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 ding. But you see, Peter didn't have a bright idea. Peter didn't, after hearing all of Jesus' teaching and looking all at, of, at all of Jesus' miracles, didn't say, let's see, let me think this through. Miracles, teachings, Christ, the Son of the living God. It wasn't Peter's deduction. It was a revelation. It was a revelation, something supernatural. How do we know that? Look at verse 17. Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this not, was not revealed to you by man. No popular opinion told you who I was. Your own mind has not even told you who I was, but my Father in heaven. Peter had a revelation. He had a supernatural moment where by the Spirit of God, he saw truly who Jesus was was the Son of the living God. Do you see the these in this verse? That was a little hard to, hard to say. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There is room for no one else. There is room for no one else. Keep that locked. In your brain. Keep that on the back burner of your mind. Hide that in your spirit and soul when you're out in a public place, in a public setting, and Jesus just becomes common, ordinary, one of many, equal to others. He is not. He is the Son of the living God. He is the one and only. No competitors, no rivals, no equals. He is the son of the living God. So Peter has this revelation. Jesus declares it. His words are spoken. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the son of the living God, which really paraphrased means you are the son of Yahweh. Pretty important thing to say there. You are the son of Yahweh. Then Jesus goes on and he said, blessed are you, verse 17, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Good news. Jesus will build his church and hell will not squish it out. Hell may push it back, but hell cannot extinguish the supernatural power of God through his church. It can't happen. The church may be pushed back. The church may be pushed under, but the church will never be pushed away. Jesus declares it here. He says an interesting turn of words here, if you'll follow with me there, uh, in verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, Petros, 
masculine noun, which means you are a detached boulder. <laughs> You're a rock. You're just a boulder, Peter. You have a function and a purpose, but you are a rock. That is your name, Peter. And he goes on to say, and on this rock, different word. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, boulder, on your reputation, on your name, on your, repu- on your character, on you, I'm going to build a church. The word rock there is Petra, a feminine noun, meaning bedrock. On this rock, this bedrock of your confession of who I am, I'm going to build a movement. I'm going to start a movement based on your confession that's going to push back the gates of hell. That is what the church is built on today. The church meaning ecclesia or a gathering for a purpose or called out ones. The, the sacred meaning is called out ones. Maybe you've heard that term in church. The ecclesia, those that have been called out for the name of Christ as being the church. But in the secular, the word there means a gathering for a purpose. There's a reason to be called out, to be part of the ecclesia, the church, that Jesus said he would build. So on that day with his disciples, Jesus announces upon the truth of Peter's confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm going to build a church. I'm going to make a gathering with a purpose. I'm going to call people out who believe in that declaration and they're going to become mine. And I'm going to make for myself a glorious church, a gathering with purpose. Jesus said he promised he would do it. So the church is a gathering for those who proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's an exclusive club, but it's a whosoever will club. The church of Jesus Christ is built of people who proclaim and confess that only Jesus is the Son of the living God. That is the true church. That is the true church. Whatever the name of the church is that we find on the Internet, that we Google, that's not important. What's important is that confession. And if you make that confession and I make that confession, you're in the church. You're not only in the church, you is the church. You are the church. The divine revelation that Peter gave that day is inside of you. It's a supernatural thing. It's a supernatural faith for a supernatural body. I'm excited about this series because I just don't want to preach church as just this this super well-defined, predictable gathering. Oh, there's more to it than that. My friend, it's exciting to be a to be the church and it should be exciting to be a part of the church. And we're going to challenge you over the course of the fall. Be a part of the church. 
be here regularly. Now, I'm a pastor. I could say every Sunday. But I'll give you a little room. Be here. Be a part. Because you are the church. And when you come as the church, to the church, something supernatural, some divine touch of the Lord happens when we gather. Did you experience it this morning? In our worship, as we glorified God as the church coming together to be the church. Why do we miss so much of that? We need to be here regularly to bring the church to the church so the church can be the church. So if you are a believer today, you are the church. And when you're not here, We miss you. When you're not here, part of the body, part of the church isn't here. Because when you come, you bring with you your love for Christ, your faith in Christ. You are part of us. And when you don't come, we miss you. Church should be regular. Let me give you my editorial comment. Outside of emergency, Illness, death, or vacation. I just picked those off the top of my head. 